0: Thank you. All right, guys. Welcome back to Revive School. Here we are, a brand new week as we as we study maybe one of the more unique and most important chapters. You ready for this? In all of the Old Testament, we've been talking about in First Samuel the um, the Anointed One, and then how this builds on this in the Eternal Throne. And we're going to start seeing in Second Samuel seven. You're going to see how and why the Eternal Throne is uh, really just walked out and how it is experienced. And so I just make sure we have up here. Uh, our, our phrase here is the eternal throne. And I love how many paintings just, it, it ties everything together. Now, you got to remember, David has a desire. What we're going to see in the first three verses of 2 Samuel 7, David's desire is to, is to honor God. And it, it's kind of a cool picture. It says that when the king, King David, had settled into his palace, and the Lord had given him rest on every side from all his enemies. Now, think about this. King David comes in and he establishes his, his palace. Now, remember in 2 Samuel 5, we know that he has taken over what city, Kevin? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. So now he has a home base, the city of David, and he's settling in in his palace. And it's just kind of like the Lord's giving him rest. Like, you know that feeling on Sundays? He is situated, he's relaxed. And then it says in verse two, the king then said to Nathan the prophet, look, I'm living in a cedar house while the ark of God sits inside tent curtains. Here's the problem though. He said, I'm concerned because I'm inside. And the ark of God sits inside the tent curtains, which is outside. Like, I'm confused. He's like, I I want to do something about this. And so then I love this. In Psalm 132, 1 through 5, it's really a picture of 2 Samuel 7. It says, Lord, remember David and all the hardships he endured. Right. Amen. Right. How has he not gone through so much and how he swore an oath to the Lord, making a vow to the mighty one of Jacob. Verse three, I will not enter my house or get into my bed, I will not allow my eyes to sleep or my eyelids to slumber until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling for the mighty one of Jacob. You kind of have to wonder if he's in the palace and he's like, hey man, it's time to find a dwelling place for the Lord. So in verse 3, as he's telling this, Nathan tells the king, now we'll talk about Nathan in a little bit here, but Nathan tells the king, his advisor, and he says, Go and do all that's on your heart, for the Lord is with you. Now, Nathan, he's a prophetic guy. Okay, he walks in this office of a prophet. He speaks on behalf of the Lord, and he advises David on these on these issues. Later on, crazy enough, in 2 Samuel 7, uh, 2 Samuel 12, he actually confronts David about the sin that he had with Bathsheba. So David is not, uh, Nathan's not this yes man. I think that's really important to know. This is Nathan's role. Nathan comes in very simply and he begins to speak into uh, David's life. Just a a fun fact, he also established uh, music in the temple. Nathan played an important part. He also then uh, uh, helped serve in the roles and the reigns of David and Solomon. And then David actually named a son after Nathan from Bathsheba in 1 Chronicles 3. And so New guy in the picture, but interesting enough, I think Nathan, I think most would agree, Nathan spoke a little too soon. You know, he didn't actually you know, Nathan's like, hey, or you know, David's like, hey, I really want to have God, you know, I wanna I wanna build a place for him. And Nathan, I know, you know, usually prophets and people that are walking with the Lord, you know, they're in tune with the Lord. But you still have to come before the Lord and inquire, God, is this what you want David to do? And it doesn't look at this point that Nathan actually inquired of the Lord. He just said, Hey, the Lord is with you. And so it might have been that he, he spoke from his own understanding, as one commentator said, but maybe not a word from the Lord. I think that's important for all of us to understand that when you, when you speak into somebody's life, just, just slow down and ask the Lord. When you, when you ask the Lord for something, he'll give you something. He'll direct you, but don't just, Oh, yeah, say something. And then it's your flesh. And then somebody comes back and say, hey, what did you mean by that? And you're like, ah, I don't know. That wasn't from the Lord. And so what I love is, is that uh, in verse four, God, God corrects this. God corrects actually the word that Nathan spoke originally into David. He says, hey, here's what it says that night. The word of the Lord came to Nathan. It says, go to my servant, David, and say, this is what the Lord says. Are you to build a house for me to live in? Like, I love this. Are you to actually do this for me? From the time I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until today, I have not lived in a house. I've been moving around with a tabernacle tent. In all my journeys with all the Israelites, have I ever asked anybody among the tribes of of Israel whom I've commanded to shepherd my people Israel? Why haven't you built me a house of cedar? He's not asking these questions in verse 8. Now, this is what you are to say to my servant David. So do you like this now? Nathan already spoken to David, but now David is, or Nathan is being corrected by the Lord. This is really what I want you to say. This is what the Lord of hosts says. I took you from the pasture and from following the sheep to be ruler over my people Israel. I've been with you wherever you've gone and I've destroyed all your enemies before you. I will make a name for you like that of the greatest in the land. I will establish a place for my people Israel and plant them so that they may live there and not be disturbed again. Evil doers will not afflict them as they have Done. Keep going if you can. Ever since the day I ordered judges to be over my people Israel. I'll give you rest from all of your enemies. The Lord declares to you, the Lord himself will make a house for you. And when your time comes, when your time comes and your rest with your fathers, I'll raise up after you a descendant who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. Now this is all of the word that he's downloading to Nathan. We're going to come back and cover all this, but I just want you to hear. This is what Nathan hears in verse 13. He's going to build a house for my name and I'll establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So who's building the house already in verse 13? It's not going to be David, descendant. a descendant of David. And so, look, this is what Nathan is hearing. And if I'm Nathan, I'm hearing this for the very first time. I'd be like, ah, <laughs> I will be a father to him in verse 14 and he'll be a son to me. When he does wrong, I'll discipline him with a human rod and with blows from others. And the scripture continues on, but my faithful love will never leave him. As I removed it from Saul, I removed him from your way. Your house and your kingdom will endure before me forever, and your throne will be established forever. That's the word that Nathan heard. Wow. Okay, uh, God, I'll I'll go tell David. <laughs> I mean, this is the process. But I, I read all of that, I and mean, Rich, that was actually for you because I normally don't ever read straight through all these verses. But why that was important is I wanted you to realize that Nathan so quickly just said, go do it. But God had a different plan. God downloaded a massive plan that was called the Davidic Covenant to establish something that that points to the coming Messiah. And Nathan almost just blew it off. He did, actually. And what he said, he didn't even seek the Lord on this. And the Lord... Intervened. Now, let's go back if we can. And this is kind of interesting. You know, David wants to build a house. The bottom line is, as God says, no. Why? Just a couple things on the whys, okay? First of all, there's no pressing need to do so since the ark has resided in a tent uh, since Exodus. Like, God's not complaining. Like, oh, hey, by the way, I don't really like this. Uh, It's like you need trading spaces for a tent. You know, like he's fine with what it looks like. He doesn't need a a redesign, right? And God hasn't ever commanded his people to build him a permanent temple at this point. So multiple things like where did David come up with this thing? And then here's another reason that David was rejected. David was an, this is an interesting one. Remember, what has he been doing for a long time? He's been fleeing. He's been on the run. David was an inappropriate person to build a temple since he has shed so much blood. David clearly wanted to build something, and God says, no. I mean, no kid ever wants to hear the word no from from his parents. Can I have this? No. (laughs) Can I go here? No. (laughs) And you know what happens usually? They try it anyway. But what I love is is that God said no, but he gave them, he gave gave David an abundance of yeses. Just because you don't like this, don't worry, I'm going to overwhelm you with all of this. He says, I haven't lived in a house. Instead, I've been moving around in a tent. I'm a traveler's dwelling. I love this. It's a, it's a tabernacle mentality that's a portable structure. And this dwelling place is always on, it's always on the move. If you go to verse 7, Kevin, it says this: In all my journeys, he says, Have I ever asked anybody among the tribes of Israel whom I've commanded to shepherd my people? I love this, this image of shepherding, this metaphor of, of leadership, according to Wiersbe. And, and that's what he's saying. Have I ever commanded you to shepherd people this way? No. I haven't ever told anybody to do these type of things. And in fact, Psalm 78, verse 70 through 72, we recite this quite often. But I think this is really important because he says in verse 8, Remember I took you from the pasture. Remember, I'm the one who pulled you from the sheep to be the ruler of my people. I'm the one who did this. And that's exactly what he did. In Psalm 78, verse 70, it says he chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfolds. Verse 71, he brought, he brought him from tending ewes to be shepherd over his people, Jacob, over Israel, his inheritance. Verse 72, he shepherded them with a pure heart and guided them with a skillful hands. Now, nowhere in this process of, of, of David shepherding his people, does God say, oh, by the way, change it up with me. I just think it's an interesting observation. David, you ready for this, was asked to be a shepherd, not a temple builder. He wasn't asked to be a temple builder, Constable says. No, he was asked to shepherd and take care of his people because of a pure heart and skillful hands. But he never said, hey, by the way, I need you to build a temple. I need you to stay in sync with what I've asked you to do. And I think the problem is sometimes we get out of sync when we want to do something else. When we position ourselves as a temple builder rather than as a shepherd. No, but I like that. God says, I'm, I'm preparing you as a shepherd to be a king, not a builder. But what happens is I think uh, sometimes we get bored with being a shepherd. So we start making our move for something else until he's established something else. It's kind of like we always get one step ahead when reality is go back to that word rest. The Davidic covenant is so important when you rest in the fact that God's in control. The second that you realize that you are and that God's not, you're out of rest. You're out of out of sync. And I I love this image. And in verse nine, he says, God says, I've been with you wherever you've gone. I've taken care of your enemies. I've destroyed them. I've even made a name great for you. Isn't that what he promised Abraham? In Genesis uh, 12, I will make your name great. And so David is even walking out the Abrahamic covenant. He's even walking out. I will make your name great. Great. And oh, by the way, ever since the day I ordered the judges to be over my people, I'm going to give you rest. David, I, I got this. Don't worry about building a temple. That's not how you're designed. I've designed you to be a king. I've designed you to be this rule. And I love this. I love what's happening because in verse 12, when your time comes and your rest with your fathers, I will raise up after your descendant. In other words, you really want to build a kingdom? You really want to establish this? I'm going to do it through your descendant. Just trust me. And he's going to come from your body. And he says, I'm going to establish his kingdom. Now, we know that eventually down the road, it's going to become through a young man named Solomon. It's going to come through a son born. You ready for this? Uh, from An adulterous woman named Bathsheba. It is the craziest story that the seed that this one descendant, is it one descendant or is it many? Yes. (laughs) Yes. It is through Solomon, but it is going to be through the coming Messiah. That even though David sinned, as we're going to talk about down the road this week, even though David sinned, God says, I can still redeem this. And he redeemed the situation to point to the, to the Messiah. I mean, this is one of the craziest stories ever, to be honest. And I love this in verse 13. Oh, the one that the descendant, that I'm going to establish this kingdom through, he's going to build a house for my name. I'm going to establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And then I'm going to be a father to him and he'll be a son to me. When he does wrong, I will discipline him with a human rod and with blows from others. Here's what you have, okay? I'm just going to write this up here on the top, Okay. He says that he's going to have the house, the kingdom, and the throne. And all of it's going to be for how long, Kevin? Forever. (laughs) Forever, right? So if you would, Kevin, let's go to 2 Samuel 21, 17. And and look how, look how, it's interesting how David is described. It says, Then David's men swore to him, You must never again go out with us to battle. You must not extinguish the lamp of Israel. And so what, what I always have viewed David as as the lamp of Israel which to me is really really interesting because the lamp of Israel points to the house the kingdom and the throne forever and it's like this flame will never go out it's interesting in that context as men even knew the covenant that he had been given yeah absolutely good picture. Okay, Kevin, let's go back to, I want to walk through the Davidic covenant if we can. So the house, the kingdom and the throne. This is what David has promised. He wanted to build a house and oh, he got a whole lot more. (laughs) Number one, and I love what Nelson says, the line or the house of David will always be, you ready for this? The royal line. Okay, always. Always the royal line comes through the Davidic covenant. Okay, now another thing is the right to rule will always come through David's offspring. Okay, so not only is the house will always be the royal line, but the right to rule always be David's offspring. And then number three, the right to a literal earthly kingdom will never be taken from David's posterity. Nothing. Never. Like it will always come from his from his lineage. Now, this is kind of interesting. It doesn't mean that in David's posterity that it will never be interrupted. Like you could go through a season where you're like, hey, wait a minute. Where is somebody? Where's David's line? Does that make sense? Like there could be a little break. There could be a little pause found in Hosea 3, 4 through 5. Like there was, uh, it seemed like a pause. It did seem like an interruption, okay? Uh, in Hosea 3, for the Israelites must live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, and without ephod or household items. Verse 5, afterwards, the people of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come with awe to the Lord and to his goodness in the last days. So in verse four, it says, nope, no king. But then in verse five, it says, oh yeah, it's, it's back through David. Okay. Does that make sense? Another thing is, is that it's a prerogative to exercise the privilege of ruling. It would always belong to the Davidic dynasty. Always. It's always going to come through the Davidic dynasty. Always. In fact, crazy enough, in Luke one, the angel Gabriel even promised Mary's son that he would receive the throne, the house, And the kingdom. Kevin, would you go to Luke 1, 32 through 33? So we know that what we saw in 2 Samuel 7, okay, what we know here, guess what happens? It goes to Luke 1, what did I say, 32 through 33? He will be great, he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Verse 33 He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. So what David heard in 2 Samuel 7, that's what Mary heard about Jesus. It's a cool picture. In fact, it's a radical picture and one that I think it's it's extremely powerful. In fact, let's just do one more. We know that the ultimate fulfillment, the ultimate promise of this would then actually be realized, you ready for this? When Christ returns to reign over His people. So in 2 Samuel 7, David wants to build a temple for the Lord. God intervenes, tells Nathan the prophet, hey, by the way, I need you to tell him this change of plans. (laughs) And then Mary hears about this, but then here's what happens. Guess what? Christ actually, Kevin, can you go to Revelation 21 through 6? Christ then actually begins to see the fulfillment. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven with the key to the abyss and a great chain in his hand. Verse two of Revelation 20, he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Verse three, he threw him into the abyss, closed it and put a seal on it so that he would no longer deceive the nations until the thousand years were completed. After that, he must be released for a short time. Then I saw thrones and people seated on them who were given authority to judge. I also saw the people who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of God's word who had not worshiped the beast of his image or who had not accepted the mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and they reigned with the Messiah for a thousand years. Verse 5. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. And verse 6. Blessed is and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of the Messiah, and they will reign with Him for a thousand years. So 2 Samuel 7, crazy enough, points to Luke 1, but then the bigger picture points to Revelation 20. All because His house, the kingdom, and His throne, you ready for this, will last forever. You know, just for the record, um, like if we wanted to talk about Christ being the Son of David... Or how Christ brought the spiritual blessings, or how Christ integrated the future kingdom, or how he even had the eternal throne. There are so many verses in this. But I just wanted to give you more of a of just a, the bigger picture about what was released on 2 Samuel 7. And so when we talk about like this is the chapter of all the chapters, I mean this would be why. Man, this is fun. Scripture says this, just one more in verse 16 to use as my transition, if you would. Second Samuel seven, your house and your kingdom will endure before me forever and your throne will be established forever. Nathan then spoke all these words in this entire vision to David. When David hears this, when David hears this word, what, how would you respond? Like, I know I've been anointed, right? I know that I was left out in the sheepfold and nobody came and got me, but then Samuel comes in, he anoints me. I knock off Goliath. I understand that. But now all of a sudden, as we transition to Second Samuel, God just says, oh, by the way, I'm going to use you to point to the Messiah. And I love David's response. And he says, who am I, Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me this, this far? And so I'm just going to write three, uh, three things here. Uh, that Wearsby writes really well. And what you're going to see in verses 18 through 27 is you're going to see a thanksgiving for present, this is really important, favor. So what he does is, is he says thanks. Thanks, God. Thanks for getting me to this point. What, have you, what you have done so far, in mean, verse 19, was a little thing to you. Lord God, for you have also spoken about your servant's house in the distant future. And this is a revelation for mankind, Lord God. What more can David say to you? You know your servant, Lord God, because of your word and according to your will. I love one of these days I want to teach a whole uh, series just on this right here. Because of your word and according to your will, you've revealed all these great things to to your servant. And what does David do? He gives thanks. Thank you for this present favor as Wearsby says. I mean, it's an incredible picture, but now, now watch this, though. He doesn't just stay there, okay? This is what he does also. In verses 22 through 24, what he does is he gives praise, okay, for what God has done, you want to guess, Kevin, in the past. So he says thanks, and then he keeps giving the Lord Praise. This is why your Lord. This is why you are great, Lord God. There's no one like you. There's no God beside you, as all we have heard confirms in verse 23. And who is like your people Israel? God came to one nation on earth in order to redeem a people for himself, to make a name for himself and to platform them great and awesome acts, driving out nations and their gods before your people. You redeem for yourself from Egypt. Look, I'm not trying to make fun. I just want to point out something. He didn't do this for the United States. He didn't do this for Russia. He didn't do this for Haiti. God's chosen people was Israel. And he says, praise you for what you have done in the past. You established in verse 24. This is kind of a big one. You established your people, Israel, to be your own people forever. And you, Lord, have become their God. This is the chosen people. Don't be offended by that. It's the reality and it's the truth. And David says it right here in the Davidic covenant. God has a plan for his people. Now, here's the craziest thing. And I would so love to teach on this. I want to teach about why God's, God's not done with his people yet. We cannot just say, oh, we're the church. God's done with the Israelites. No, 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 not at all. Don't buy into that, that lie. God has a plan for his chosen people. And what David does is he praises him. He praises God for all that he's done in the past. But now watch what he does. He begins to transition his prayer. He begins to transition his conversation with the Lord with the third and final thing. And I love what he does here. He begins to petition for, Kevin, future? (laughs) Yeah. He begins to petition for future fulfillment Of God's promises. Why this is so important that I love is because you want to know why? Because David gets this picture. He wants this to see fulfilled. He wants to see Christ rule and reign. And so he begins in verses 25 through 29. Now, Lord God, fulfill the promise forever that you've made to your servant and his house. Do as you promised. Like right away. God, let's make sure you understood what you just said. Would you do it? Like, let's not negotiate this. You just do what you promised me so that all people can be blessed. In verse 26, why? So that your name will be exalted forever when it is said the Lord of hosts is God over Israel. The house of your servant David will be established before you. Verse 27, since you, Scripture says, Lord of hosts, God of Israel, have revealed this to your servant when you said, I will build a house for you. (laughs) I love this. Don't miss this. This was revealed to your servant when you said, I'll build a house for you. Therefore, your servant has found the courage to pray this prayer to you. Like he has the courage. You, God, you do what you told me you're going to do. God, I want to remind you, you do this. It's for your glory and let the Messiah reign and rule over all of the earth. In verse 29, uh, uh, verse 28, Lord God, you are God. Your words are true and you've promised this grace to your servant. Verse 29, now please bless your servant's house so that it will continue to be for you forever. For you, Lord God, have spoken and with your blessing, your servant's house will be blessed forever. Hey, God, would you allow all of this to happen? I'm going to give you three interesting perspectives on this. This comes from a guy named Pastor Jack Wellman. And one is, is that you have to understand that God sees the future. Okay, that sounds kind of obvious. Uh, let, me, let me write this one down. Make it short. Seize the future. Can you go to Isaiah 46, Kevin? 9 and 10, please. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. This is kind of the summary to all of this. When you get this, you'll understand this. Remember what happened to you long ago. For I am God and there's no other. I am God and no one is like me. Verse 10. I declare the end from the beginning. I love that. And from long ago, what is not yet done, saying my plan will take place and I will do all my will. God clearly knows the future. And then the other part is is just in understanding what we just talked about today. His ways, you ready for this, are higher than ours. If you go to Isaiah 55, 8. His ways, not ways, like. For my thoughts are not your thoughts and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. What was David's plan? What did David want to do? You wanted to build a house. I wanted to build a house, and that sure sounds really good, doesn't it? I'm gonna build a house for the presence of God. Oh, he says, but by the way, I David, I got a change of plans. Your house, your kingdom, your throne, yeah, it's gonna last forever. How about that one, David? Oh, yeah, your ways are way better than mine, God. And all of this is gonna come through a Virgin Mary, which then ultimately is gonna to lead to Christ ruling and reigning. His ways are higher and oh so better. Than ours, and I love this one. This is the last one. Uh, we plan, and he directs. It's OK to put your stuff out there. It's totally OK to start walking this out, but just know that God is ultimately going to direct the steps. Proverbs 16:9. Proverbs 16:9 implies this: as a man's heart plans his way. David's heart was a man after God's own heart, but the Lord then determines his steps. The Lord is the one who establishes the next steps. Proverbs 19, 21. Proverbs 19, 21. Scripture says this. Many plans are in a man's heart. Remember, David is a man after God's own heart, but the, but, but the Lord can still trump this. The Lord's decree will prevail. When we come before the Lord, okay, just know that He sees the future. Know that His ways are higher than ours and, and know that we plan and, and He directs. And then because of all this, can we go to this one map really quick for me, Rich, if you don't mind? I just want to show you something. Remember how he was resting in his palace? Remember that? Well, what you'll see in 2 Samuel 8, this is important, because then you start to see victories. And so all I want to just say is that you begin to see victories, David, because God's directing his steps, because we know that there's going to be an eternal throne through David is that we know the Ammonites were taken out, the Moabites taken out, Edomites taken out, Amalekites taken out, Philistines taken out. And so what you're going to see is victories in all of these. And then it says in verse 15, this is really important, 2 Samuel 8, verse 15, it says, David reigned over all Israel. David begins to walk out his calling because he allowed the Lord to speak in his life. All right, guys, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks.